Obviously, this morning is Memorial Day, at least for us. You know, the last Monday in May is actually the day that's been set aside to remember those who have died while serving in the country's armed forces. But we remember their sacrifice during our worship service on the Sunday before Memorial Day. It's something that we choose to do every year. Some would suggest that we should remember the sacrifice of our Lord annually, or at most monthly as well. That by doing so weekly, we make it into an empty ritual devoid of meaning or spiritual impact. And it is possible to take something that is done often too lightly. But frequency of partaking is not the determining factor in a meaningful relationship with Christ or others around his table. Or around any table, for that matter. You know, I'm sure if I only ate one meal a month, I'd really look forward to it. And it would be very special. But I'd be healthier and stronger if I ate on a more regular basis. And it is possible to approach every meal with a sense of gratitude and a healthy appetite. The same is true of the Lord's Supper. Especially if I make an effort to include in my celebration the four elements that we find in the very first celebration of the Lord's Supper. The elements of preparing, purging, picturing, and praising. We begin as they did by preparing. We're in Matthew 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, there's a lot to do to prepare for the Passover. As we mentioned last week, the Passover was the most important of all Jewish celebrations. It commemorated the passing over of the death angel, the final plague that broke the back of Pharaoh and made it possible for the children of Israel to leave Egypt and begin their journey to the promised land. Every year, the Jews were expected to celebrate Passover. And those living in Palestine were required to celebrate in Jerusalem on the 15th of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar. Now, their calendar was lunar with each month beginning on a new moon, so it varied from our solar calendar. But Nisan falls in March or April, and that's why Easter Sunday varies for us now. But the 14th of Nisan, the day before Passover, was the first day of unleavened bread. The day they removed all yeast or leaven from their homes and made preparation for the Passover. And there was much to prepare. First, 
a perfect lamb, had to be secured and sacrificed. It was taken to the temple where a priest would kill it, pour its blood on the altar, and burn its fat. The carcass would then be given back to the one who offered it so it could be eaten by his family or by a party of at least ten during the Passover meal. In addition to the lamb, unleavened bread would have to be prepared. When the Israelites left Egypt, they left in a hurry before their bread could rise. So it was remembered with unleavened bread. Bitter herbs were included in the meal to remind them of the bitter experiences of slavery. And a paste or puree of dates, apples, pomegranates, and nuts was prepared to remind them of the clay that was used to make bricks. Wine, which was diluted with three parts water, was also an important part of the meal. Now, all this had to be prepared by the disciples, as well as securing and setting up a place in Jerusalem where they and Jesus could celebrate the Passover. So they asked Jesus where they were to prepare for the meal. Now, Luke tells us that Jesus entrusted that responsibility to Peter and John and told them to go into the city and look for a certain man, a man carrying a pitcher of water, which would have been very unusual. That was woman's work. They were to find a man carrying a pitcher of water and then follow him into the house that he entered. They were then to say, the teacher says to you, my time is at hand. I'm to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Jesus said he would then show them a large furnished upper room in which they could prepare the meal. Now, whether Jesus arranged for this by natural or supernatural means, we're not told. My guess is that he simply made arrangements when he was in Jerusalem, but kept it secret so Judas wouldn't be able to spoil the dinner. The important thing to note, however, is simply that considerable preparation went into the celebration. And I believe that's a key to our having a meaningful celebration of the Lord's Supper today. You know, obviously, if the elements weren't prepared, something Burl has faithfully done for years, we couldn't partake. And if they weren't faithfully distributed by men who take seriously their ministry of serving the Lord's Supper, our celebration would be hindered. But even more important than the physical preparation that goes into the Lord's Supper is the spiritual preparation that we make. If we come to the table with our minds elsewhere, it's not going to be a meaningful celebration. If we're fighting with the kids or looking at our watch or worrying about dinner, we're not going to be able to celebrate meaningfully. So preparing is necessary for celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so is purging. Interesting choice of words. Now when the evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. 
And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. He said to him, You've said it yourself. When they arrived at the upper room, everything was ready. The food was prepared and the table was set. They reclined on couches to begin when, according to John, Jesus did something unexpected. He arose, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around himself, and washed their feet. After discussing the implication of what he had done, he then sat back down and the Passover celebration began. Now, the meal itself consisted of several courses interspersed with prayers, psalms, storytelling, and four cups of wine that were shared by all. Somewhere in the midst of the meal, Jesus made a surprising announcement. Truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Everyone was shocked, including the one who already knew it. Eleven of them, in turn, asked Surely not I, Lord. Jesus answered, indeed, one of their number, one with whom he shared a common bowl, a friend, would betray him. Now, the fact that he would be betrayed by a friend had been prophesied, and his going to the cross was unavoidable. But that would not relieve the betrayer of personal responsibility for what he was about to do. Jesus said, woe to that man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Jesus made it clear that Judas hadn't been born simply to betray Jesus. Judas was not just a pawn being used by God to accomplish his purposes. Judas made the choice to betray Jesus, and would pay the penalty for his betrayal. When it was his turn to respond to the announcement, one of you will betray me, he said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. He didn't say Lord like the others. Jesus was no longer Lord of his life. He said, Rabbi, teacher, to which Jesus responded, you have said it. Yourself. According to John, Jesus then gave a morsel, a piece of lamb wrapped in bread that he dipped in the herbs to Judas. After eating it, Satan entered into Judas, as he had done when he first made the deal to betray the Lord. And Jesus then said to him, What you do, do quickly. And Judas left. The betrayer had been purged from the celebration. In a similar way, 
We are to purge sin from our life before partaking of the Lord's Supper. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said if we are presenting an offering at the altar and remember our brother has something against us, we are to leave our offering, go to our brother, be reconciled to him, and then return to the altar and present our offering. The same thing, I'm sure, holds true around the Lord's Supper. We cannot celebrate with our Lord when our heart is harboring sin or bitterness or unresolved guilt. It must be purged. And in 1 Corinthians 11:27, Paul said, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And he went on to tell us that we are to therefore examine ourselves before we eat or drink. Now, the examination isn't to determine whether or not we are worthy to partake. No one is worthy. The examination is to determine if we are partaking in a worthy manner. If our heart is right, if our sins are confessed, and our thoughts have been purged of anything that might hinder communion with our Lord. And only then, after preparing and purging, can we truly begin picturing what the Lord's Supper is all about. And it was only then, after Judas had been purged from the meal, that Jesus began picturing his death using some elements of the Passover meal itself. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, if we want to remember an event, what we used to call a Kodak moment, we take a picture of it. Obviously, long before cameras or smartphones, there was a need to remember. And one of the best ways to remember something was to attach special meaning to a common item and then let it picture something in your mind. As we've already noted, everything in the Passover meal pictured something significant. It was now time to change the pictures. The focus would no longer be on the symbolic sacrifice of lambs in Egypt, but on the true Passover lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus took bread, the unleavened bread of the Passover, and imbued it with new meaning. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
He then took the cup, and after giving thanks, said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. His body and his blood were about to be sacrificed on Calvary. And he wanted his disciples to remember what he was about to do. So he took the bread and wine, two common elements, made pictures out of them, and said, Do this in remembrance of me. Now, some believe that he did more than make pictures of those elements, that he actually made them into his flesh and blood. But that conclusion comes more from theology than from the words Jesus spoke. And if I hold up a picture of my family and say, this is my family, no one assumes my family lives in my wallet. It's understood that that's a picture of my family. By the same token, when Jesus said, this is my body, everyone understood that the bread was a picture of his body and the wine a picture of his blood. Now, that in no way depreciates the wonder of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is wonderful because it calls to mind what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it anticipates the day when we will drink the fruit of the vine with him in the Father's kingdom. If we'll picture this in our mind each time we partake, it will be a meaningful celebration. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, look at the bread before you pop it in your mouth. Look at it and picture the body of Christ. See it on the cross. And when you hold the cup in your hand, see it filled with the blood of the Lamb and realize it was shed to pay for your sin. These elements are very significant. Use them to go back to Calvary. And then Praise God for loving you enough to send his only son to die for you. And praising is the final element in our celebration of the Lord's Supper, as it was the final element in the Passover. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, you might get the idea that they just sang one hymn and that was it. Sometimes people say we sing too many verses of the same hymns, especially on Hymn Singing Sunday. But they didn't just sing one hymn. They didn't just sing one verse. Even though it isn't mentioned in the text, historians tell us that singing was an integral part of the Passover celebration. In fact, we're told that it was the custom to sing the entire Hallel during the course of the Passover meal. Now, what is the Hallel? It's Psalms 113 through 118. Now, we've already read the opening words to Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. 
Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And we look at the final words of Psalm 118. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I have stole thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. These are psalms of praise. The word halal actually means praise. We're more familiar with the term hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. But it was halal, praise, that made the Passover into a celebration. And it was something in which all the people participated. Now, there seems to be some question about which psalm they used to conclude the Passover in the first century. And subsequently, which hymn they sang before going to the Mount of Olives. Some suggest that it was Psalm 118. But Barclay says it was Psalm 136. And he's really good in his history. And Psalm 136 is known as the Great Hallel. I think he may be right. And to get just a feel for the kind of praise they offered, I want us to share in the great Hillel this morning. Now, they actually sang it. Fortunately, I don't know the tune. <laughs> so we're just going to speak it. I'll read a line, and then you recite the refrain. Okay, I'm sure you'll catch on pretty quickly. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who made the heavens with skill. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn and brought Israel out from their midst with a strong hand and an outreached arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings. And slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. 
and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, even a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our low estate and has rescued us from our adversaries. who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. (laughs) You got that line? (laughs) You know, that, that may seem just a little tedious to us. Sometimes I get tired of repeating the same verses over and over again in praise songs. That's even worse, right? But then again, sometimes those phrases we repeat over and over again stick in our head. And as much as I don't like saying the same thing over and over again, I find myself remembering it during the week. That was an important part of what they were doing. Repeating that simple phrase, for his loving kindness is everlasting, enabled the Jews, to really make the Passover into a time of celebration. They were remembering what God had done and praising Him for the fact that His loving kindness is everlasting. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we should also be praising Him. Let's not allow the communion hymn to simply be a vehicle whereby the ushers get from the back of the auditorium to the front. Let's make sure it's a hymn of praise coming from our heart, expressing our confidence in the fact that because of Calvary, His loving kindness is everlasting. We must prepare, purge, picture, and praise to have a meaningful celebration of the Lord's Supper. And we begin by coming to the table openly and honestly, recognizing that the Lamb of God's blood was shed for us that he has invited us to come. So we come without one plea, without defending ourselves or trying to justify our behavior. We simply come to celebrate the fact that because of Calvary, his loving kindness is everlasting.